0: Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Today on board we have Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College. Hello, Wayne Moyer. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I am fine. Also joining us, uh, uh, political scientist Jim McCormick of Iowa State University. Welcome to you as well.
1: Hi, Ben. Glad to be here.
0: And we want to invite our listeners to join us as we dash through with some analysis of about a half a dozen uh, different topical political items um, from Iowa politics, uh, national but also international politics, uh, dozens of mass shootings so far this year. In a few minutes, we'll talk about uh, what Wayne and uh, Jim think of this uniquely American crisis of uh, gun uh, violence. Uh, also more January 6th convic- convictions. Uh, uh, Majority Leader McCarthy in the U.S. House ejecting Democrats from the House Intelligence Committee. It seems to be a bit of payback Uh, There, more classified documents discovered, now found at uh, former Vice President Pence's Indiana home. And uh, we'll finish up the hour going abroad. Uh, You heard on the top of the hour news um, an agreement uh, the U.S. will be sending the M1, uh, a number of m one Abrams tanks uh, to uh, Ukraine, uh, also Germany's uh, leopard tanks, uh, evidently, uh, will enter that. Uh, We'll ask Wayne and Jim um, if this might be a turning point and uh, how it may reshape the politics not only of Europe, but uh, of the world. But let's start off with uh, Iowa politics Uh, yesterday. Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law her signature school choice legislation, creates tax-funded accounts, and once fully implemented, 42,000 private school students could receive state funding at a cost of 345 million dollars per year. It's amazing to think, gentlemen, this was uh, introduced just two weeks ago at uh, the governor's condition of the state address, uh, creating these tax-funded education savings accounts. They go by uh, the acronym ESAs, available to K-12 through 12 students statewide. After three years, no income uh, limits. Let's listen to some audio here. The signing of the bill yesterday, Governor Reynolds said the state will now fund children, instead of a system, and competition will only help improve public schools.
2: We're rejecting the idea that the answer to improving education is simply pumping more money into the same system year after year without making significant changes. And we are putting an end to the notion that competition is a zero-sum game. You know, after we expanded open enrollment in 2021, one public school administrator, superintendent, responded by saying, I don't agree with this bill, but the bill is law, and I'm going to do everything that I can to make our district the destination of choice. The Students First Act will create that very same culture, that very same expectation to be the destination of choice
0: but opponents, primarily Democratic lawmakers in the Iowa um, uh, the Senate and House, argue the bill will take away opportunities for students. Uh, Ames uh, State Senator Herman Quernbach argued uh, on the Senate floor, private schools do not offer choices to all, they, uh, to all because they can reject applicants.
3: You talk about creating school choice. These kids don't have a choice.
0: You're short-funding them $2,800, and they don't have a
3: choice to go to private schools because private schools won't take them. They don't have to take them. The governor's priority is the private schools for the few and not the public schools for the many.
0: Now, we should note that nine Republicans in the House, two in the Senate, voted uh, alongside Democrats in opposition to this bill. Um, one of those Republicans voting against it, Representative, State Representative Tom Moore, he told a group of reporters after the vote in the early uh, hours of Tuesday morning this, I have a number of issues with the bill, he said. I always have. I've been opposed to it for the last two years. It came down to very, very simply to my constituents. I'm in a very Republican, very conservative district, and they uh, uh, and they were telling me no. That from a Republican. Let's start off with your comment here. Wayne Moyer, to you first. Thoughts on uh, the Iowa GOP's lightning-quick passage of this ambitious legislation after failing the past uh, two sessions?
4: Well, I, I wish there had been much more—first of all, I wish there had been much more discussion of this before the legislature had actually voted— I think my primary concern about this is the future of public schooling. Um, There's an awful lot of money now that will be going to private schools. Um, And there will have to be innovation in terms of public schools in the future in order to keep up with educational developments, technology, etc. Will there be enough money to keep public schools, which are the core of the education system, operating effectively as long as you have all this money going out to private schools. Um, So uh, my main concern is, uh, will will we be able to keep public schools at a a top-notch level, Um, uh, and particular problems in rural areas, Uh, where there are no private schools that people can go to.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, We can draw a direct line, can we not, from uh, this um, uh, passage uh, to the November elections in which uh, Iowa Republicans, Iowa is one of the states that didn't uh, experience a red wave, Republicans in both chambers increasing their majorities. Uh, This is only the third week of a legislative session, which stretches into the spring. Uh, This is a major achievement for Republicans. Jim, your comment.
1: Well, you know, the governor, you know, really put it on her reelection campaign that she was going to get this uh, passed. And she, of course, you know, endorsed uh, some uh, primary candidates uh, of uh, Republican legislators that had, had opposed school choice in the past. Uh, and many of those uh, legislators were defeated in, in the primary. So, you know, she really had put this uh, as kind of a marker uh, and, but I, I agree with Wayne, the kind of the rapidity with which this was, uh, flew through the legislature is, should be really surprising to everybody. I think one of, uh, another comment though, it seems to me, uh, and I'm not fully informed on this, but it, it'll be interesting to see when they take up school aid, uh, legislation, you know, and the funding for the public schools, uh, that will undoubtedly follow on at towards the end of the, uh, into this uh, session, to what extent will they, in fact, um, increase or at least try to bridge uh, some of the differences here that, that this bill creates? Because, uh, you know, this, this is going to be some money that's going to be poured into to private and parochial, parochial schools here. My, I guess my final comment on it, and I'm a little bit um, curious, as how many people will actually take advantage uh, of, uh, of this? Now, certainly some of the rural areas, as uh, was pointed out, uh, you know, and, and I was reading a, a post this morning that showed sort of a map of Iowa. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of counties in Iowa without private schools. And so they're going to be kind of left out uh, from taking advantage of this. So it'll be interesting to see if there is any kind of uh, appropriations that kind of begins to balance the, uh, the ledger here. Uh, I'm not sure that that's going to be a, a, an immediate thing, but I think that'll be the target uh, of the discussion in the upcoming part of the legislature.
0: A quick comment from each of you, please, on, on Governor Reynolds, um, certainly a moment of triumph for uh, Governor Reynolds. Uh, let's talk uh, uh, quickly about her political future. I think it was a, a few days ago, a couple, maybe a couple of weeks ago, that I read a, a, an opinion piece by Kellyanne Conway of course, the former uh, senior Trump advisor, and uh, mentioning just a few names for 2024, Governor Reynolds was one of those. Uh, uh, Jim, what do you think this is uh, uh, for for the governor's national stature?
1: Well, polit- political ambitions uh, really get you know under the skin of uh, of some politicians here, uh, so I wouldn't. I suspect that given that she gave that uh, response to the State of the Union address uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, you know, that certainly that has given her a little bit higher profile. And this legislation, of course, which I think uh, Iowa becomes, if not, I think the second state in, in the country to have this kind of uh, funding for for private education, that certainly gives her a kind of a high profile here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if her name is is uh, is continually uh, picked up by by pundits and so on as uh, as a possible possible uh, vice presidential candidate here.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, I guess I think not a
1: presidential candidate. I think a vice presidential candidate. Oh, OK, well,
0: I think I think she was mentioned by Kellyanne Conway in this uh, op ed uh, as a presidential candidate. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Wayne, you agree with Jim?
4: Well, it's, it's possible, and certainly our profile is higher. Uh, the question that I have in the back of my mind is uh, presidential candidates usually like to balance their ticket and, and get somebody from a very different constituency, politically important constituency, as a vice presidential candidate. And I, I do wonder, Iowa, with its small population— uh, whether most of any, any of the Republican candidates would think a vice presidential candidate from Iowa would be overall helpful for them in terms of getting the, uh, the electoral votes that they need um, uh, and the popular vote behind that that they need in order to be elected.
0: If you've just joined us, it's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. Ben Kiefer with Wayne Moyer, Professor of Politics at Grinnell College, Jim McCormick, Professor of Political Science at Iowa State University. Join our conversation, one 780 or email us river-to-river at iowapublicradio.org. Dozens of mass shootings so far uh, this year. Um, by the start of the fourth week in January, a tally uh, growing to at least 39 separate shootings in which four or more people were injured or killed. That's according to the uh, Gun Violence Archive, also A tragic shooting uh, in Iowa, in Des Moines this week, two students dead, an adult employee seriously injured following that shooting um, earlier this week at Starts Right Here in Des Moines, a nonprofit organization focusing on helping at-risk youth. Uh, Let's listen uh, to... uh, uh, th- this is uh, ma- after the mass shootings. Let's go to, to the national scene. Uh, President Biden calling on Congress to pass gun reform legislation. Here's the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, said, saying this to reporters yesterday.
1: At the end of the day, we need Congress Act. We need legislation that can be signed into law to deal with a matter that is really tearing apart communities.
0: Texas Representative Michael McCall went on CNN to share his plan to stop shootings without gun reform. Every one of these cases, and I guarantee
4: you're going to see it in this one as well, the shooter had warning signs along the way. We just didn't respond or pick it up. So uh, in my judgment, we could create a system, I introduced a bill, that we could take public information on the Internet, have an algorithm to stop the threat before it happens. That is a smart approach rather than, you know, violating Second Amendment rights. And so, uh, look, I I hope we can get that passed.
0: Okay. Uh, Thoughts now? We have this conversation again and again, Jim and Wayne. Uh, We all uh, mourn the deaths. Uh, Thoughts, uh, uh, Jim, uh, you first, on if our politics are up to the task, will ever be up to the task of reducing the tremendous harm from this uniquely American epidemic of gun violence.
1: Well, I'm I'm sad to say, of course, violence is very much a, a part of American uh, culture. It seems to me, and and it certainly has been manifest, as you pointed out, with these, you know, these 39 shootings here. I think part of the answer really is an assault weapons ban. Um, I think that's only part of the answer. I I noted what uh, Representative McCall said. You know, if this could be done, uh, that would be, I think, helpful too. I mean, there's a mental health aspect. Uh, To this, and I think there's even a fourth component of this. Is there? There really has been, it seems to me, uh, with all of the uh, ongoings on in the past several years, kind of a a downgrading of 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 life and so on, and and respect uh, in that context. So uh, I think that there needs to be, um, you know, kind of an ethical. uh, Rebirth, if you will, at least in in part as part of this, and obviously it begins you know at in various institutions, whether it's at home or in schools or churches or what have you, uh, that that uh, this is unacceptable way to resolve any kind of antipathy or, or concerns that that folks have about uh, others or other groups and so on so it's it seems to me it's a multilateral yeah kind of effort that should be done I think it it starts by uh, getting the assault weapons ban I mean uh, Senator Biden was very uh, keen about that and and uh, when he was' in in, in that uh, institution and so I think it would be good to, to to proceed with that there will be opposition in the in the Senate uh, among Republicans uh, and I know that there's been some democratic bills even as we speak I think introduced or reintroduced with regard to the assault weapons ban.
0: Okay, uh, let's go to um, uh, a call before we hear from uh, Wayne here. Tom is joining us from Des Moines. Hi, Tom.
3: Hello, uh, longtime listener, sometimes caller. Uh, I wanted to inject something into this conversation that is infrequently heard. We talk a lot about gun rights, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't really talk about gun responsibilities, with every right comes the responsibilities, and if we did talk about responsibilities, we would try to figure out why so many people given guns you know fail to use them properly and so if we do that, then we're able to to start a new conversation and reverse this idea that has been you know proffered by the the gun rights and the gun culture uh, group that says that everyone needs guns for their personal security. Uh, In fact, when surveys are done, less than 1% of people actually use their guns for personal security. But, you know, the Democrats keep saying, well, we just need to tinker around the edges and then maybe we'll solve this thing. We're not going to solve this unless we deal with the gun proliferation problem. People buying guns for no good reason. The Bruin decision, which was exactly the wrong thing to say, because the New York law that this declared unconstitutional said, you know, you need to have a reason to buy a gun.
0: Okay, Tom, let's get and, some comment uh, to, to what you just uh, said there. Um, uh, Wayne, your, your comment on, on our gun violence and, and what can be done about it? Uh,
4: well, I, I would agree with with both of what Jim said and and what uh, our our caller said. Um, mm-hmm. There are there are there are there are too many guns out there that are too accessible to too many people that can fire too many shots in a short period of time. And the assault weapons ban that that Jim mentioned is obviously a part of the solution, but the solution will be multifaceted. And I think the other thing we need to say, the nature of our political process will be incremental. Uh, we won't be able to to solve this problem uh, except through a series of small steps uh, taken over a period of time. Uh, and uh, And some of it is mental health and some of it will obviously be changing attitudes of people and communities as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, This email from Terry in Bettendorf, he writes, "Uh, we all know the problem. Gun companies make more money. Politicians are cowards, he writes, or they would legislate against guns. They do not legislate and continue to take money from gun companies. Uh, Terry finishes up by saying, any fool would know that more guns mean more shootings. Gun murders are up 75% according to Terry and Bettendorf, in the last 10 years. Uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, thanks uh, for that input from our listeners. Uh, other politics this week, uh, classified documents now also discovered in the home of former Vice President Mike Pence in Indiana. Now, this is according to letters from Pence's representatives to the National Archives and Records Administration, Uh, quote, a small number of documents bearing classified markings that were inadvertently boxed and transported to the personal home of the former vice president at the end of the last administration, collected by FBI officials uh, from his Indiana home. Uh, Jim, uh, what do these now multiple discoveries of classified documents where they shouldn't be tell us?
1: Well, I think the the major message they tell us is that we have to have some uh, political figures that are really take responsibility for these uh for these top secrets here and I suspect that this is not the end of the documents that we'll find in terms mm-hmm. of you know of, of other of other uh, leaders as they have left office and and inadvertently let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt uh, have as they as they packed up their offices uh, kept, held on to these documents what I would like to see and I think that is that these officials come out out front and say they take responsibility, uh, you know, even instead of shuffling it off to some aid that would, that package the boxes or, or something like that, or, or take them. It, it's, it's really incumbent upon uh, the officials to take full responsibilities and to bear any kind of political or, or legal liability that, that might come uh, from, from those mishandling of documents. I don't see how else we get a uh, greater Uh, carefulness on the part of uh, Mm -hmm. departing officials or even officials that are currently in office.
0: Yeah, we should also note here it's been uh, this distinction has been made many times on our airwaves uh, between Biden uh, and now Pence those cases and the trove of docs documents seized from uh, former President Trump at his Mar-a-Lago uh, residence uh, primarily because uh, uh, Trump uh, Trump's behavior in in not giving up the documents uh, for a long time after being notified um, your your thoughts quickly before we take a break, Wayne.
4: Well, uh, one thing that we don't know so far is there are various levels of of secrecy for documents. And uh, some documents are truly sensitive and uh, should be extremely carefully regarded. And there are others confidential documents that probably don't Require the same degree of secrecy, and I think we've kind of oversimplified this. and And maybe, uh, maybe we need different levels of control for different kinds of classified documents. And when the ones that are extremely sensitive, uh, then require should require special controls. Uh, To uh, uh, reduce the risk that they will slip out into somebody's uh, personal files after they leave office.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back uh, with Wayne Moyer and Jim McCormick, uh, we'll get their thoughts on the ejection yesterday. House Speaker um, Kevin McCarthy ejected uh, Democratic Representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, we remember them well from the uh, impeachment hearings. Uh, they've been ejected from the House Intelligence Committee. A much anticipated uh, move. Um, ask Jim and Wayne if uh, this is a new chapter in what is acceptable in terms of political retribution. Of course, McCarthy denying that's the reason. Also, uh, more January 6 convictions, uh, Oath Keepers convicted. Um, and we also want to turn our heads uh, abroad to uh, foreign policy. Germany and the U.S. now set to send tanks uh, to Ukraine. It's been controversial. Uh, uh, Germany's Leopard tanks, uh, uh, the U.S.'s M1 Abrams tanks. want to find out from Jim And Wayne, whether this will make a difference, but more interestingly for politics, how this may reshape uh, the geopolitics not only of Europe, but of the world. That's when we return. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com.
3: The Garden Variety Newsletter brings the gardening community to you. Together, we'll learn about all things horticulture, celebrate our successes, and gather expert answers to your questions subscribe at ipr.org slash gb.
0: It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Today with Jim McCormick of Iowa State University and political scientist Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College. Join us 1-866-780-9100. Dashing through about a half dozen items uh, that stick out on our political landscape in the state (laughs) uh, nationally, but also internationally. We want to talk about Ukraine before the hour is over and the decision uh, announced by uh, President Biden to send U.S. tanks into that uh, theater of uh, war. Uh, The Germans uh, evidently doing the same with their uh, tanks. Well, let's uh, keep uh, uh, stateside for a few minutes. Uh, yet uh, yesterday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy ejecting Democratic Representatives Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, uh, both from California, from the House Intelligence uh, Committee. Uh, much anticipated move, uh, this coming after Democrats, uh, then uh, in the previous majority, voted in 2021 to eject two Republicans, remember, um, Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of uh, Arizona from their congressional committees uh, for their Internet posts that advocated violence against their political enemies. Also throw into the mix here possible payback for the decision by then Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, to bar Republicans who had helped former President Trump uh, spread those election lies that fueled the January 6th attack um, from sitting on that special committee that investigated uh, that riot. Now, of course, McCarthy has denied his decision was retaliatory. Instead, he argued that both men had displayed behavior unbecoming of the committee tasked with overseeing the nation's intelligence services. Uh, so, Wayne, what do you make of this... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, McCarthy would not agree with uh, calling it a tit for tat, but uh, do you agree that's probably what it is here, right?
4: Yeah. It it is tit for tat and uh, I think it's unfortunate. Um I there are re- reasons if somebody is disruptive or has done, done something in the past which is totally inconsistent with the, the purposes of a committee, I could see leaving leaving them off that committee. But uh, it seems to me that it, uh, that at least in this case, there's really no reason, uh, to um, logical reason, to exclude either of these people. And having them on the committee increases the chance that whatever investigations that will be held will receive bipartisan acceptance.
0: Mm-hmm. Jim is this a new chapter in what is uh, going forward what is deemed acceptable in terms of political retribution?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see that as long as we have this considerable polarization and particularly you know the Congress or at least the House has been well I guess the Senate too has been narrow, narrowly split between the parties here um now there is there is a prerogative here that McCarthy has because you know this is a select committee on intelligence mm. it's not one of the standing committees so mccarthy can actually make this decision in terms of the appointment now to be to be sure most of the time uh the the opposition party requests have been honored here uh but there is at least some uh basis for for making this decision on the basis of mccarthy uh you know in terms of holding keeping uh, uh Schiff and, and Swalwell off of the committee. Of course he he raised the question of the of uh, Swalwell's involvement with uh the Chinese official or a person um a, as well as Schiff's uh involvement with what uh, McCarthy characterized as uh, as lies about uh about the uh the Russian involvement with the Trump administration.
0: Mm, okay. Um Uh, Quickly to the Senate here, we had a a couple of interesting items of of Senate news uh, regarding the Democrats. We have a um, a representative, um, Ruben Gallego. A a progressive Arizona Democrat seeking the Senate seat of Kirsten Sinema. She's, of course, a Democrat uh, we heard a lot about in the last few years, uh, turned independent. Um, Now uh, she will be challenged by this progressive Arizona Democrat. Um, Also, uh, I think Democrats breathing a sigh of relief. uh, Virginia Senator Tim Kaine announcing his plans to run for reelection. Jim, uh, thoughts on those two? the Senate uh, bits of news?
1: Well, it's, it's important because the Democrats, of course, have, I think, 23 seats in the Senate uh, to defend in the upcoming 2024 election. Uh, and so having Tim Kaine run in Virginia, I think, uh, obviously, he would be a, he would be the favorite going into the election. I think the other question is, with, with regard to cinema is whether actually she's going to run or not. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that Gallegos, who's, uh, you know, in the House now, is uh, obviously announced and, and apparently has got a pact running already uh, to raise funds uh, for his campaign. Um, you know, will will provide a, a serious challenge. And the Republicans, uh, at least what I've picked up, is that the Republicans in Arizona are very much divided among a, a whole series of different candidates uh, that that might challenge. So I'm not sure if if uh, if Sinema doesn't run, I think Gallegos would be in a in a in a pretty good. Uh, situation to to capture that seat. Otherwise, you know there is the possibility of splitting the vote mm-hmm. uh, between some that want to support Cinema and and Gallegos here. But I think um, you know Cinema is in a difficult situation given given that she's left the Democratic Party and, and certainly has has alienated some elements uh, within Arizona as well.
0: Political scientists Jim McCormick of Iowa State University, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College, of uh- Final fifteen minutes of our Politics Wednesday edition. Let's move on to um, what we uh, is uh, is a mainstay of Politics Day. It seems now more than two years uh, after that fateful day, January sixth. The aftermath there: four more members of the far right Oath Keepers fi- found guilty this past Monday of seditious conspiracy for taking part in that assault on the Capitol. Um, Uh, The verdict marks the end of a second major sedition trial against members of this extremist group, the Oath Keepers. Uh, They were among the hundreds who attacked the Capitol in that unsuccessful attempt to prevent Congress from certifying Biden's victory. Also uh, in the news, uh, uh, remember the man who famously was photographed putting his feet up on a, a desk inside the then U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office during that attack? Monday, he was convicted on eight counts uh, by a Washington jury. Uh, 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 The jury convicted uh, Barnett, is his name, of uh, eight crimes, uh, theft of government property, obstructing an official proceeding. Obstruction of an official proceeding uh, can carry up to 20 years in prison. Uh, Wayne, let me toss this to you. We're now well past uh, two years after January 6th. Uh, Your thoughts on how this is unwinding and the the prosecutions and the verdicts are uh, spinning out?
4: Well, it seems to me the prosecutions and the the successful verdicts brings home just how serious January 6th actually was. Uh, The fact that you have been able to convince a jury that what these people had done was indeed seditious or indeed trying to undercut the operation of democracy in the United States. This is not just a charge now. These are convictions Mm -hmm. by juries, and that's important.
0: Yeah. Uh, Quickly to George Santos before we go abroad to Ukraine. um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy saying yesterday that Representative George Santos will be removed from Congress if an investigation by the House Ethics Committee concludes he violated the law. Um, The committee's investigation launched following reports that, uh, of course, that Santos uh, fabricated parts of his background, including his education, his work history. During his 2022 campaign, he's a freshman congressman. He has been sworn in, but also being probed by several Federal, state, and local uh, entities. Up to now, McCarthy largely defending Santos uh, against those calls for his resignation, um, but also condemning some of Santos's conduct. Uh, 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 it was the first instance, though, that uh, he suggested potential consequences uh, for uh, this New York Republican. Uh, Jim, uh, thoughts on uh, on where the GOP is is dealing uh, is in dealing with George Santos? It's a uh, peculiar situation. Well,
1: I th- I think they're trying I think they're trying to give him uh some procedures here, you know, by going th- before the ethics committee, but you know the the house can decide on its membership and it can expel. And I w- I would suspect although obviously you know it we have to go through the procedures but given what we know uh that his time in the US Congress is, is going to be relatively short here. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean it, the Republicans of course are concerned because they have a you know, 222 members, you know, and that the loss of a, that seat uh, would would cut down their majority to, I guess, three members here. Um, and, and so that that's a that's a problem for them. Um, I was looking at the uh, how much Santos won that district one by he won by twenty five thousand votes uh, in in New York. But I, so I think that would be a vulnerable kind of uh, district if they had a, if, if he is removed and they and they had a special election here. Uh, so it could be, you know, there's, there's going to be consequences uh, for the Republican majority here. But I fully expect after, after the sort of the routine of the Committee on Ethics going forward uh, that, that his time in, in the U.S. Congress is relatively short.
0: Gentlemen, uh, let's go abroad for our final 10 minutes or so of our Politics Wednesday. We heard in the top of the hour news, President Biden announcing 31 uh, M1 Abrams tanks for Ukraine. Uh, he says the move, though, not meant to escalate the war. In unison with that, uh, Germany says it will send an initial shipment of 14 of uh, its Leopard Tanks uh, to Ukraine. Uh, these are, of course, some um, uh, cutting-edge, um, the, the very best tanks uh, in the world. Um, uh, th- this has been controversial. Um, uh, Ukraine has wanted Germany's Leopard tanks, in particular. I think already. 2,000 of them in Europe in the hands of NATO countries, uh, Germany uh, dragging its feet up to now before the announcement, or at least that's uh, the report, uh, sort of the characterization of the report. Uh, Wayne, start us off. Help us understand why there's been such a controversy over sending some of NATO's most sophisticated tanks, whether it's the German Leopards, the British Challengers, or the American M1 Abrams.
4: Well, let me me go one step before that. I I think there are... Why why do we need tanks in the first place? Russia has, of course, drafted something like 300,000 people. And they haven't all been brought into the conflict yet. And there's a strong possibility of a Russian offensive coming up very soon. And will Ukraine have the ability to stop that? And that's why Ukraine needs tanks. The problem, I think, is with Germany, and Germany's record of using tanks in World War II has made Germany very, very reluctant to want to send tanks in a future conflict. Uh, and also, Germany is very concerned that had, if they had just sent the Leopard tanks and the Americans had not sent the Abrams tank, that that would make Germany a target in Europe. And Germany is the, is even closer to Russia than the United States is. And then there is a sort of a pacifist strand coming also from World War two in Germany that uh, makes it hard to send tanks. Um, on the other hand, the need for unity in the, in the NATO alliance, which I think we have now as a result of this, uh, strengthens, I think, the, our ability to protect Ukraine and to ensure that the current government is able to maintain itself and perhaps to make progress in uh, pushing Russia out of the, the occupied parts of Ukraine.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to ask you both about um, what may be coming in the rest of 2023 and uh, the future of Europe uh, under uh, a new world order, where where Russia is perhaps pushed back out of Ukraine. But uh, to keep on this tank issue for just a moment, Jim, let me uh, go to you. Um, uh, add to what wayne just said there uh, about the importance of these tanks and and why it was such a hot button that took uh, weeks to it seems negotiate here among nato partners
1: well one of the things of course it does um, escalate the involvement uh, of of nato partners here uh and you know that that really is a is a step up in terms of the escalation and what would be the what would be the Russian response? I think Wayne has really sort of uh, really covered the evolution of this and why it, why it is, is, uh, is necessary here, but also the, uh, the, the German reluctance uh, to go very quickly. I did note that Z- Zelensky uh, president in Ukraine said, I think he asked for initially something like a thousand tank tanks hmm. uh, would be necessary. Um, you know, that, that, this, w- this would be a, a really a way for them to to combat um, you know the Russians and really to overpower because the Russian tanks apparently, uh, and again I'll defer to the to the technical experts here are are much inferior uh, to these uh, leopards and and Abram tanks uh, and would give a real advantage uh, to uh, to Ukraine in terms of this terms of this kind of battle here um, I'm not so sure that it could go far it might I think what they actually might do is to increase the stalemate in the conflict particularly with the uh, you know the new recruits that the, that the Russians apparently are training and there, at least there's some report that he might even enlarge the the military up to 1.5 million uh, in in Russia I was reading a report uh, to that effect whether that will come to fruition or not of course you know, we'll, we'll watch over time here so uh, all of the the, the tanks and the ability to kind of stalemate the conflict, um, you know, I, I think is, is really consequential here. But I think President Biden's statement is is important as well, that this is not meant to be an escalation. And it's really kind of a signal to, to Russia uh, not to take this as, as uh, you know, as all of the kind of loose talk that they've had about about nuclear weapons and and so on mm-hmm. let's
0: imagine what could happen the remainder of this year on into next year the Biden administration seemingly convinced that uh, Vladimir Putin has failed in his attempt to, to erase Ukraine um, also a lot of talk about uh, you know u- Ukraine, Reclaiming occupied Crimea, which has been uh, occupied by Russia, uh, claimed by Russia since what 2014, and uh, uh, the U.S. and allies beginning to to plan for an eventual post-war order. Um, Anthony Blink, Anthony Blinken outlining his strategy uh, there in various uh, scenarios. Um, uh, uh, Wayne, could you imagine in this year that the Russians? not only would be pushed out of what they've taken in the past year, but also Crimea, and that we would have a whole uh, new geopolitical shape in Europe.
4: I I can't imagine the Russians being thrown out of Crimea. I can certainly imagine them being thrown out of the rest of Ukraine. But Russia has already lost power in Europe. Uh, When it tried to cut off gas supplies and oil supplies, to, to Germany, and Germany has now, and the rest of Europe, has now found alternative sources. So Russia's lost, already lost influence that way. Uh, it, is, it, has not, it has not shown military capabilities in Ukraine. So those things together, the fact that it in fact is, is not able to control Ukraine, plus the fact that it has lost major part of its clout with regard to the rest of Western Europe— it seems to me is shifting the the balance of power certainly with regard to Europe uh, more in the favor of the European Union and NATO um, as opposed to Russia.
0: Mm-hmm. Jim, your view on the eventual post-war order?
1: Well, I think that you know the the idea of trying to retake Crimea is probably a dead letter. It, that that Ukraine probably is not going to be in a position to do that. I noted noted that uh, Secretary Blinken. You know, talked about maybe in a, in a kind of a, at the end of this conflict, there could be some kind of an arrangement with Ukraine where we would uh, the Western powers and NATO and as well as the United States here uh, would would provide them with sufficient military capacity uh, to uh, affect uh, deterrence mm-hmm. with regard to Russian Russian claims here. It, it immediately reminded me, frankly, of another kind of area where the United States has tried to make a, a similar kind of claim. Reminded me of the Taiwan Relations Act because it what 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 Blinken was talking about was supplying them with sufficient military capabilities and it's very very uh, indicative of what the Taiwan Relations Act said that the, says that the United States will provide uh, to Taiwan. The big difference is that Blinken also talked about uh, that uh, you, Ukraine would be somehow uh, brought into the EU would not be brought into NATO because that would be a singular signal to the Russians of uh, you know, uh, 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 over the red line here, uh, but they would be brought into EU. So I, I think it's possible, but I don't think we're at anywhere near there in terms of getting this this kind of stalemate. I I, I regret to say that I think we're in for another year of war, actually, uh, right. in the in Ukraine here, given these uh, you know uptick in tanks and uh, and so on here. So this kind of post-war is I think a good model. San's uh, uh, Crimea, because that's probably going to stay with Russia. But I think the other is a very good, very good possibility in the post War or, uh, order.
0: Quickly on the way out, and we don't have time to discuss them, but just please list uh, some other foreign policy hotspots. Uh, the two of you have your uh, eyes on. Uh, Wayne, you first uh, for the first, uh, well, less uh, than uh, a minute. Yeah,
4: <laughs> We, we always need to talk about North Korea. They're still doing a lot of nuclear tests, and or not nuclear tests, but missile tests. Mm-hmm. And that has implications for South Korea and Japan. And uh, Myanmar is always, a, is always a problem, and Ethiopia is always a problem.
0: Okay. Jim, you have the last word there. What, what will you be watching for the rest of this year?
1: I think Turkey is an issue here. You know, Erdogan has, of course, announced just recently that he's going to oppose Sweden entry into the NATO. So there's going to be some uh, NATO feathers ruffled here of whether that uh, will that uh, take place or not. I think the larger kind of issue is, and and Wayne indirectly touched on it with Ethiopia here, uh, is the global economy, you know, is predicted to only grow by 1.5%. And I think that has really serious uh, kind of economic uh, food and, and welfare consequences for for much of the, particularly the South nations of the world.
0: Okay, Jim McCormick of Iowa State University, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College. Thank you, gentlemen, for your expertise and analysis this hour. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much.
0: Powered by Iowans, and empowered to tell Iowa's story. IPR is where news, music, and culture meet. Thank you for listening and supporting your local NPR network station. Well, have you taken a break from drinking alcohol during so-called dry January? How's that going? Tomorrow on this program, you can share your experience as we discuss the benefits of life without alcohol, even if it's just for a month. Uh, That's tomorrow on the program. We hope you'll join us as always. River to River, produced by Danny Gere, Samantha McIntosh, Caitlin Troutman. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Tune in again tomorrow.